0: good day everybody welcome to the lifetime talks training podcast and today we have the one and only Miss PhD dr. Ashley Lucas and she holds a PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease and is also a registered dietitian and today you know really we're going to focus on her specialty in 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 working with people who have failed over and over again in trying to get their weight loss right and get their health right and, and really want long-term success she has a very unique story on how she got into this and we'll let her talk about that and, and really you know 15 years of researching and going diving into this method to be able to really focus on metabolic wellness inflammation reduction and overall, most importantly, what we're gonna talk about today the behavior and emotional support that's needed to transform yourself for the long term. So welcome to the show, Miss Dr. Ashley Lucas.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: No problem. Well, I, I would love to jump in and and start. I mean, you talk about having a different perspective on weight loss and, and really seeing it as kind of this addiction recovery process. And I'd love for you to kind of dive into that, you know, through your story and then kind of what brought you to, you know, finding out that really a lot of this is this, you know, I know people don't like talking about it, but this addiction and recovery process.
1: Yeah, I can start a little bit um, with a background on my story and then we can get into that aspect. Um, But, you know, I spent my youth training in classical ballet and uh, I started when I was real young and I wasn't naturally very talented. And so I had to force my body to do a lot of things that it shouldn't have been able to do. And as a result of it, I was injured all the time. I had a fairly successful career despite not being that naturally talented, but it's just because I forced my body to do these things and I had probably performed in 600 nutcrackers, wow. at least half of them with <laughs> one or two stress fractures. And, you know, I was told that I was fat countless times oh Despite, God. yeah, r- you know, like most ballet dancers probably. And I restricted myself um, from a dietary aspect so that I could try to maintain a lean weight, but I was rarely there. And when I was, I was injured. And, and so I kept up with that. I didn't, you know, eat any kind of fat because I thought that fat would make me get fat. I avoided red meat like crazy, and I still wasn't where I needed to be. And so, you know, the accumulation of my professional dancing career, and I danced with companies all over the country, was when I was chosen to perform in, in New York. And, and you know, that's every dancer's dream. In <laughs> For my sure.
0: Team. Congrats, so, too.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. I didn't actually do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got there, and instead of finding myself on stage in these once-in-a-lifetime performances, I landed in the ER. Oh my goodness! And I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was having a heart attack, something terrible, and so I had a whole bunch of tests done. And the neurologist came back and said that I was simply overexercised and underfed. And that my body couldn't do it anymore. That was it.
0: Was it like a rhabdo type of thing or? No, no?
1: I just think it was a basically panic attack and my body just physically couldn't take it anymore.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's it's such, those are such great things. I mean, and, and but ballet and gymnasts, mm-hmm. I mean, you could say the same thing about football, but, you know, sometimes the stuff that you take yourself through and your body through later on, really, I mean, it takes a bit of a toll if you don't catch it early enough. So great that you did. You know, unfortunately it it impacted your career. So, so, you know, what happened from there?
1: Well, so I was flown back home. I was fearful of my health future because I still didn't really know what was going on. I thought maybe multiple sclerosis or something like that. really odd symptoms when my body just can't handle a stress load physically and emotionally. And so I I was flown back. I I couldn't continue. For me, it was a huge deal because it was 20 plus years of struggle and sacrifice and my adolescence. I mean, I didn't know who I was. It was my identity. Like any major athlete, it's all that we are and all that we think and breathe. And so I was pretty depressed and had a lot of anxiety wrapped around what I should do because it was really this quick situation where I didn't plan for that to happen. I thought this was like the beginning of big time. Um, And so I had to think about what to go into next. And I just understood how significantly nutrition or really lack thereof impacted my own sport performance. So I went on and pursued sports nutrition. And so I went to Virginia Tech and I had an amazing advisor who understood everything that I was going through and that I really wanted to help others avoid what I did. You know, I was a chronic dieter and we know that metabolically that hinders us that, you know, quote unquote ruins the metabolism. And so I really wanted to study us and and what happens to our bodies and what can we do to achieve an optimal body composition, but not totally depress our metabolic rate at the same time. And then most importantly, what do we need behaviorally and emotionally and mentally to support big positive change? And so I went on and earned my PhD in exactly that. Um, and so that's kind of where my my passion for this Beautiful. all started.
0: See, our, our audience is a bit of trainer and then high-end health enthusiast. And I've always said, you know, the, the path and the scope, right or wrong, mm-hmm. of what we work with, whether you're an RD nutrition coach, you know, um, in, in trainer is at the end of the day, there's the weight loss aspect of it. There's the cardio and the strength, the plan doesn't mean anything if they don't do it (laughs) and (laughs) and and how you get people to do it is, is behavior modification and, and understanding some of the things that, you know, I know you're going to go into. And so, you know, you, you talk and, and you use the term, you know, that it's not our fault Mm -hmm. And, and that, you know, dealing with emotions and dealing with behaviors is is an addiction, whether you have a negative association to that or not, Mm -hmm. let that pass that negative association needs to go away and just let it be. So how did you come up with this? And and why do you say that it's not our fault?
1: Well, So, you know, after I earned my PhD, I I guess I figured that wasn't enough education. And so I went (laughs) and I I taught at the Ohio State University for a while. But there I learned that I had this true passion on seeing dramatic change within individuals. Like uh, the research is so important and I really enjoy that. I'm really glad I have the background in that so I can read and stay up to date with literature and really decide what the best approach is for our clients and for our family Um, Because, you know, nutrition research is so poorly done in general. You can find anything out there to support whatever your beliefs might be when it comes (laughs) to nutrition and training, really, right?
0: That could be another episode, too. (laughs) It could be.
1: So I, you know, I went back to school so I could be this true expert in weight management and behavior change. And I became a registered dietitian. But during that period, there was an issue because all the information I was being taught was the same conventional wisdom that I know doesn't work for me. And, you know, that wisdom of it's all about calories in and out, you need to have more willpower, more discipline, Um, you just need to eat everything in moderation. And I did that. And I knew that it didn't work for me. So I took everything I learned about metabolism and behavior change in my PhD work, and flipped everything that I learned about nutrition upside down and started to work one on one with athletes. And what I found had this significant impact on athletes, allowing them to drop body fat, but support their metabolism, allowed them to perform at higher intensities for longer duration actually had an even more profound impact on those of us struggling with excess weight. And so that's kind of slowly how I adopted and created and implemented what we call the PhD approach in our clients, where we really look at metabolically what's going on and how to support success. Successful and healthy weight loss, but also the mental and emotional, the habits and behaviors. And so that's slowly how we incorporated that. And over time, I've just realized that this is largely an addiction recovery process for the majority of us. Yeah. And it's OK. It's nothing to be shameful or guilty of. It's just how we're wired. And also the environment that we're living in right now is so conducive to us, and instant gratification and the foods, we could go into all the reasons why we might be addicted to food, but it's multifactorial.
0: Yeah. And and it's so powerful, you know, and, and like any mindfulness practice or anything, the first step is awareness, like just right. acceptance and awareness and, and, and being aware that am I really hungry? And mm-hmm. so if we can, I, I've got, a question for you that, you know, if we can't and it and it's too much, let me know. But I'm I'm looking at like how does somebody read something? Because you said there's so much out there that you can always find something that says this is right or that's right. Is there anything that you can give the audience that you have just a, a couple of things to say, well, this is probably what you should look at for it to be kind of really justifiable and, and you can say, Yeah, mm-hmm. this is probably inaccurate versus not?
1: Mm, it's just so hard. It is. If you don't come from a science background to pull that out, I'd say go listen to Peter Atia and the Eating Academy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because he pulls everything out and he can express it in a way that a lot of us can understand. Got it. But Got it. just looking at, you know, one is where are the studies being sponsored and who's paying for the study? You know, if it's like the yeah. dairy industry paying for something, looking at if dairy's healthy or not, then we yeah. should maybe... Kind of consider where that's coming from. <laughs> Got it. Um, the duration of the study. You know, a lot of nutrition studies are based on food frequency questionnaires, yeah. and that will say, okay, over the last 10 years, how often do you eat X food? I mean, if you put me on the spot right now and ask me what I ate yesterday, I don't think I could remember. Yeah. You know, how often do we remember what we ate a week ago? nonetheless you know five years ago
0: oh i forgot about that yeah
1: (laughs) yeah i i I think i ate a hot dog you know and then with a lot of the nutrition studies we we lump fast food or red meat in with fast food and is it really the red meat that's the culprit or perhaps the white bread bun and french fries and coke that's eaten in (laughs) conjunction with it so i know i don't know if i answered your question no that's good i mean
0: it uh, it is a monstrous question and you know there's i I didn't expect but you again find the right people you know a couple little things to try to dive into so that you know but but the problem is is Usually people go after looking for a reason why they're taking something to justify right. it, and so yeah, they end I up justifying the bullshit. He, <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: So, all right, let's jump back in. So, you know, you again, you mentioned it's not our fault. This uh, kind of uh, yo-yo experience phenomena. Would you mind mm-hmm. describing what that is and, and kind of it. tying yes. into that? Obviously, this importance of understanding the emotional and and kind of mm-hmm. you know, stress related stuff that that impacts your you know how we're eating.
1: Sure. Well, so there's many reasons why we might be addicted or really strongly driven to certain foods. and one of them is metabolically and hormonally. So what happens in our lives is, we have these triggers and they change the way that we tolerate our food. And a common trigger for men might be, you know, general aging. It could be some major lifestyle change or a a stressful relationship situation. For women, I commonly see pregnancy or menopause, one of those life stage hormonal shifts. And for some people, the trigger could be birth. And these are people genetically predispositioned to store fat really well. So we go through our lives and we're able to eat a certain way. We have this trigger and we eat the same way we have been, but now it's resulting in weight gain instead. And we're, and we're thinking, what the heck is going on? I haven't changed anything significant, but I'm putting on this fat and this fat, oh my gosh, is going in the belly. And so what happens is after we have these shifts, our body tolerates food in a different way. We start to accumulate the fat in the belly and this belly fat is called visceral fat, right? And it's this unique fat. It's different than the fat throughout the rest of the body. It's thick like a gel. It fills up the organs and it wraps around them and squeezes our organs internally very tightly. It's if we took you know a slice of your liver, if you carry belly fat, it would look like a Kobe beefsteak. Like that marbling that in that ribeye steak, that's what I'm talking about when I reference visceral fat and this visceral fat, after it's been in there for a while, it grows its own blood vessels, it gets a little oxygen supply and these fat cells secrete hormones. So I want you to imagine that this belly fat, it's like this tumor, and all it wants to do it has its own objective. And all it wants to do is get fatter as fast as possible.
0: And like a tumor, she didn't say it was a tumor; it was like a tumor
1: <laughs> that just wants yeah. to grow. It has similar yeah. behaviors. Yeah. So, for example, it secretes hormones that make you hungry, yeah. that make you not really feel full. You have cravings. You're addicted to these foods. This and, and,
0: those, hungry. and, and those hormones are are what.
1: They play with leptin and ghrelin. ghrelin, They secrete aromatase, which converts for men, um, their testosterone into estrogen. So now they have lower T and higher estrogen does the same thing in us women. And it increases our risk of breast cancer significantly because of the aromatase Mm -hmm. converting into estrogen in the breast tissue. It secretes interleukin-6, which is a major inflammatory hormone, which is why we have increased risk of, say, heart disease and cardiovascular disease when we carry more belly fat. And it also secretes um, cortisol at the tissue level of the cell, which we know if we're in a high um, insulin state, encourages more fat storage. So with all of those hormones in the mix, and I'm sure I'm missing some, we have these Situations where we find ourselves hungry, where we find ourselves craving, um, our metabolism is slowed. So we can like legit look at I don't know, uh burger and fries and put on some weight when it shouldn't <laughs> be that way. And it makes us lazy. It makes us not want to move. The last thing this fat mass wants to do is expend energy. It just wants to grow. And so as long as we have this hungry fat mass in there, we're going to be driven to potentially eat more, eat the foods we know we shouldn't be eating. And then when we do eat, it's going to store it and pile it in to become more fat rather than going to our muscles and allow us to feel like we want to move.
0: Um, Yeah. It's I'm pausing because it's so powerful. Everything that you just said, and it's so common and, you know, it's, It's angry. It angers me because sometimes through social media, we see all these people say, oh, it's just calories in and calories out. And, you know, and it might be for the the very, you know, healthy person at, you know, they're already healthy. They have don't they don't have many, you know, hormone imbalances. They're younger. But as again, as we age, it's (laughs) you see it more and more being less about the calories in and out because of what you're just, you know, what you just described. So that, that was very, very powerful.
1: Yeah. You know, we had um, a dancer, a young dancer work with us and she had taken um, something for acne, Accutane, or I think, and it just really put a lot of stress on her liver and 22 years old and had always been very, very lean and put on 30 pounds. Mm. And so when I chatted with her, she was eating, Literally 600 calories a day. Man, sleeping a lot because she was so fatigued. And when she was awake, she was exercising, or at least walking and and Pilates and yoga, and then you would get on the bike and lift weights. And we actually had got her eating more, sleeping a little less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, eight, about eight hours. It was like 12 hours, and moving significantly less, but more smart. Yeah. And she was able to drop 30 pounds and is back at her performing That's weight.
0: Great. So you know, yeah. And, and what's awesome now too, is there's so much technology out that can help people quantify the stress that they're under, you I know, see. and, and, you know, things, you know, like HRV heart rate variability. And, you know, I, I use the whoop actually, I should have it. Yes. on. I usually always have it on. I, I took it, it off before not. I, when I jumped in the shower, but like, <laughs> It, it, things like that, because so many people, you know, you can give them that advice, but they don't get it. But yet, you know, certain pieces of equipment don't lie. You know, your blood doesn't ring, lie.
1: That's yeah. helpful. You can look at, yeah, yeah aura, I like yep. the ring. Those are great.
0: Yep. Perfect. Well, you know, so getting into it now is, you know, you mentioned it, it's, It's a bit, you know, there's metabolic side of it. There's the behavioral side of it. So, you know, your holistic approach to weight loss behavioral therapy, you know, kind of essential. So talk me through kind of, you know, what steps if you, if you're finding yourself, you're one of these people out there that, you know, you're, you think you're doing everything right, but you're still not getting where you need to be kind of what are the steps like, you know, and I know you've got an ebook and we'll dive into that a little bit later, but you know, what can you give us to, to kind of start to identify, okay, maybe I need to start going, looking, looking at this a different way.
1: Yeah. I think awareness as to if, Um, you know, you're struggling in this way. So specifically if we stuck to food addiction, usually we're addicted to sugar and carbs. It's just, we know from research, if we look at individuals who consume higher levels of sugar, the same areas of the brain are lit up under MRI as to those individuals who are taking cocaine you know, I think in the 1800s, we consumed about 18 pounds of sugar a year. And now we're at 180 pounds of sugar per person per year. That's crazy. So like a 600% increase over 20 years. You know, I've never in my clinical experience heard someone say, you know, I'm addicted to steak and I just can't stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's having awareness of like, what foods are you going to? Yeah. And Um, sugars and carbs, not saying that they're evil or that you can't eat them, not saying that at all, they're important and they have their roles, but it's recognizing if you're eating above the tolerance level of it, you know? And so those can be, um, seen in oatmeal or even fruit. you know, people say I'm not sugar addicted, but they're eating so much fruit through the day. And when we remove that or significantly reduce that, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm having major sugar cravings right now. Yeah. And that's coming from those foods. So I think awareness, like you said, is the first step. Um, if you're experiencing weight gain and bloating and it just doesn't make sense, you know, poor sleep, headache. You can look at the behavioral side. If you're hiding the foods that you're eating or not eating it <laughs> with a group of people, that's a sign that there's a behavior there that needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of clients I work with, they get up in the middle of the night to eat, or you know, they're driving around and they stop at a gas station and buy all the sugary foods and can't stop eating it. So I'd say that those are signs that you might have some kind of sugar addiction. Or if you don't feel you have a food addiction, but you simply cannot drop weight, despite exercising more and eating less, that means there's something off and someone from the outside should help you and take a look at what's going on from an outside perspective, because it might be something very simple you haven't been able to think of um, that can be tweaked.
0: You know, what's interesting too, because I see a lot of people say, oh, well, it's organic. Right. So I'm okay. And you know, what, what do you say? I mean, it's, it's organic, but it's still a carb <laughs> you know, it or it's still sugar. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or they're like, um, well, for breakfast, I have steel oats. Like yeah. they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're yeah. unfortunately it's oatmeal, which is converted into glucose and raises your insulin. Yeah. So it is like, it doesn't matter, unfortunately, if it's organic or steel cut, the body doesn't care. Of course, now a f- piece of fruit is going to be better than gummy bears because yeah. the fruit has fiber and like a multivitamin backpack to it yeah. where the gummy bear doesn't, but the sugar response is they're, they're going to be similar in there. And so that could be part of the struggle.
0: Got it. You
1: know, what
0: about strategies and anything? Somebody's addicted to sugar. Mm-hmm. and they're trying to get through it is there any strategies supplementation you know foods yeah. you know that Definitely. you would recommend to help beat that
1: Sure let's talk about a few behavioral tactics and then let's talk about the nutrition side Got it if that's okay Yep So from a uh, behavioral aspects you know usually dinner time is the most challenging time for us to make wise decisions because we are so fatigued so, coming up with a plan and then working the plan.
0: Yeah, it's but crazy that, how easy the plan is in the morning. Every I morning, know, especially on Mondays.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got this. That's right. <laughs> Monday through Wednesday, we kind of yeah. get it, and then we're like, "Screw this! I'm ready for <laughs> here. year." <laughs> um, so, yeah, just making the decisions, or I guess the choices that you want the easiest decision is going to be key. So like, if it's a goal for you to go walk after work, putting your tennis shoes in the driver's seat of your car, you know, so they're right there, rather than you having to go home and then find the shoes, but then your kids are there and you get distracted and you say, what the heck, I'm just gonna eat goldfish with them instead of
0: going on the walk.
1: (laughs) So just having that is gonna be important. Then there's this acronym HALT. And it's, so it's to help you recognize your triggers. So H is for hungry. A is for angry, L is for lonely, and T is for tired. And these are just four areas where they are high trigger points for a lot of people. And to recognize, oh, my gosh, I'm hungry. Let me make sure I have a tactic in place as to what to do when I'm hungry. So you come up with these tactics, not when you're in one of these states, like you're peaceful, you're calm, you're rested. It's Monday morning (laughs) and you come up like, hey, when I'm hungry, this is what I'm going to do. When I'm angry, I'm going to be aware that you know I usually eat X and here's what I'm going to do instead that's not related to food. You have to fill whatever action you had in the past with a new action. You can't just leave a void because we know nature abhors a void or a vacuum. (laughs) You know, we got to fill it with something else. So from a behavioral side of things, that's going to be helpful.
0: What what is your thought? You know, I'm a big believer and just through working with people for years and years and years, you know, just I'm more on the training side, but is if they don't spend time really vividly thinking about it, exactly what it is that they want in having that vivid picture without a nutritionist or an RD mm-hmm. or a trainer projecting what they think they should be, right? There's a big, right. huge difference between what you think they can and should be versus what they want. And mm-hmm. when you have that vivid picture, I believe that it really helps change the behavior or catch yourself when a bad behavior might be brewing.
1: It's huge. Yeah. So I think what you're saying in summary is to kind of create this identity of what they want to be, whatever that is unique to them. If it's fit, and sexy or whatever, muscular and vibrant, and then living within that identity as if they're already there. Right. So what would you have in your pantry if you were, you know, this fit, lean, muscular guy, would you have Triscuits in there? Or would you, you know, have some beef jerky? (laughs) Um, So I think that that's spot on. And then having this resounding why that's larger than yourself. To keep you on course, because there's going to be challenges. I think it's recognizing that there's discomfort with any kind of up leveling and change. And in today's society, we hate discomfort. You know, this weekend I um, did this workshop where we had to sit in an ice bath for two minutes. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. And the guy who was helping was with like, you're safe, you're fine. It is just discomfort. (laughs) And so I think we can't go into these periods of change thinking that it's just going to be all like Pollyanna.
0: Like, like the quote is always, you know, nothing good comes easy. You know, it it doesn't. (laughs) I wish so much that we would, even in, in school, teach kids to fail, fail fast, obviously, and, and, and use it as a learning experience to move forward as opposed to how we harbor these things and just make it so much more difficult for us later in life. Yeah, I agree with you. So what about, you know, any, you know, either foods supplementation, you know, there's apple cider sure. vinegar, people talk about different things, like just anything that you have, you know, from that perspective to help, you know, kind of work with those people that are struggling with those carb yeah. cravings.
1: So, you know, a lot of the reason why we have cravings is because our body might be really wanting a dopamine surge. I mean, it's why we smoke or drink or do all these different things to change our state. And so there are other areas in life that we can increase dopamine. And this is through exercise. Getting out in nature, specifically in the morning, to set your circadian rhythm. And it shows that when we get out in nature, it increases dopamine and serotonin. Beautiful. Walking is like the number one thing we can do for our brain health and our bodies. Um, connection and building really strong relationships is huge to increase resiliency and even shows us secreting those feel good neurotransmitters. So getting outside with a friend and talking, getting out in the sun, meditation, intention setting, journaling, like all of these things are going to be really important from a behavioral side. Got it. From a nutritional aspect, when we might reduce our carbs to break the ties with these foods we say we love that aren't loving us back, we don't want to just restrict overall calories because then we're going to be really hungry and we're going to be at risk of shutting down our metabolism, so to speak. And so if we're going to reduce the carbohydrate portion and sugar portion in our diet, we have to increase our dietary fat and proteins. Protein is a little tricky. I I know your audience probably knows this, but it has a rate limiting amount, right? You can only eat so much protein before it's going to be stored as fat as well. So you want to get the right amount of protein to help you feel full and support your muscle mass. And then that dietary fat, usually we fear fat, which we really don't want to do. We need to get plenty of fat. So I always tell our clients when they're craving something, they need more fat. If they have a craving, they've knocked themselves out of fat burn intentionally or unintentionally, and they need to eat more fat to get them back into that state where they're burning it and feeling good. If you're eating the right way for your body, you shouldn't have cravings. You shouldn't have hunger. You shouldn't have to white knuckle. If you're white knuckling it, something is wrong with your nutrition and it can be fixed.
0: When, when you say eat right for your body, is there a specific... Way that you recommend, I know that it could be elaborate, but what yeah. are you using to identify that?
1: You know we really look at all the different aspects of each person, their training schedule, how their stress level, if their health background, if they have type two diabetes or pre diabetes, for example, it's going to be a different picture than someone who's working out all the time and still has weight to drop. So it's difficult for me to say for just a a wide range of what the ideal way of eating, but I find you more of a Mediterranean kind of paleo based way of eating, not eating things out of a box reducing carbs. We really don't need a lot of them, but you don't have to be keto. You don't have to be Atkins. Um, but if you can drop those carbs, get your protein up. So you're eating, you know, at least 20 grams of protein at every meal and snack. But again, that's going to be different for each person and then filling in the dietary fat. So you're still dropping weight. If that's the goal, but you're not hungry. Mm. Those are kind of how we pull the different levers. Got it. Got
0: it. got it. And when you say the fats, is there, you know, can you give some suggestions around what the right oils yeah. and or fats are that, you know, people should be including? And, and, and then at the same time, which ones should they be taking out?
1: Yeah. So we, we want those higher omega-3 fatty acids, which of course, would be eating a little bit more fish in the diet. If you can, um, more grass fed meats and pasture raised eggs, but from just the fat source, it would be, you know, more monounsaturated fat, like extra virgin first cold pressed olive oil is going to be a great, Thing. My favorite oil that I cook with is avocado oil because it has a really high smoke point, which means that you can cook with it at a very high temperature it. before it smokes and goes rancid. Got it, got, it, um, got it. Coconut oil, some people like. If you can tolerate saturated fat, that's a great stable fat that you can cook with in my spray oil. If I use spray um, it might be avocado oil or coconut oil, but I wouldn't use um, olive oil at a high heat because it's not that stable. Got it. So those are the best fats. The fats we want to avoid are the vegetable oils, including canola oil, because it's really not shelf and high heat stable. A lot of these vegetable oils are so processed, they're rancid by the time we get it and they increase inflammation. So dropping those type of oils, peanut oil, not really the best if you can't avoid it.
0: Got it. Awesome. Well, you know, with regards to going back, is there, or are you hesitant and just kind of if we could speak generally speaking around mm-hmm. certain supplements, if any, that can assist, you know, what, you know, you mentioned estrogen aromatase and I, I know people that take dim and, and things like that. I, I, anything that you can give just as, again, we're not telling you to go out and do it, that it's going to, mm-hmm. you know, impact you this way, but studies have shown that, you know, these things might have a positive impact.
1: Sure. So when you're eating a really nutrient dense diet, the majority of us don't need to take a ton of supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that we respond differently depending on our genetics to certain supplementation. So I think that's a really interesting area that's up and coming where we can study our body and our genetics and figure out what supplements we really need to take. Mm-hmm. From a blood glucose, you know, insulin sensitivity standpoint, berberine is helpful to take Mm -hmm. maybe 600 milligrams a day for some people. And that helps to drop glucose levels. Um, Let's see, you know, not from a hormonal situation, like you said, DIM can be helpful There's a whole bunch of different adrenal support, you know, energy cortex supplements that one could take, but I don't think it's necessary unless you've really been diagnosed with adrenal fatigue to support that Mm -hmm. thyroid is a huge deal if your thyroid is off, then you're going to find that your estrogen levels are off testosterone will be lower. So, getting the right test for thyroid function is going to be really important. Got the majority of us are pretty deficient in vitamin D. So, taking vitamin D3 with K, vitamin K to help absorption. I'd say we all should be taking specifically in the winter because we only absorb vitamin D through the months of May through October and from the hours of, you know, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. So if we're working and we get out, you know, in the sun and three at three, we're not even making the appropriate levels of vitamin D. Got it.
0: Got it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, let's jump back into kind of that behavioral side and, and, you know, the, the weight loss questions to consider. I know that you've got some things and I don't think we've, we've hit on that quite yet. Um, would you mind talking about that?
1: Yeah. So from the behavioral component associated with dropping weight, um, well, I mean, when we, we look at it, it's, it's having this really strong desire, right? Your desire to change has to significantly outweigh your desire to stay the same or nothing's going to change. It's just like anything else in life. I'd say 80% of, of dropping weight and maintaining it comes from the mind. So no matter what you are doing, it's more important, I'd say, if to how you're fueling your mind from the messages and what you're thinking and you know the words that you choose are going to impact your body just as much as what you're fueling it through food and your diet. You no, know, so using those words like, you know, I I choose to eat this food today over the french fries because I I choose to feel great about myself and fitting in these clothes or doing this with this person is more important than the stupid French fries. <laughs>
0: you know. It's it's so powerful what you said there too, because it's it's the attachment, you know, that our we're we're built in. Not only what you had mentioned about just the cells and and the the addiction that occurs through what the cells want to feed on, but mentally, obviously, we want to stay attached. We want to be comfortable, you know, and all these other things of eating things that we don't potentially like or, you know, getting up and moving. Those are things that take us out of that comfort. and, And it's just ironic and powerful at the same time that, you know, what we need to do the most are the things that our bodies kind of are almost ingrained in not wanting us to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's the same as anything in life, right? Mm-hmm. It's really just about the stories that we're telling ourselves. I, I, was working with a client last week and, um, he was about eight pounds away from where he really needed to be to fully collapse this fat mass. So, um, and, and so one thing as I, take a tangent is this, this fat mass. If we don't get the body where it needs to be. Um, and let's say we have 60 pounds of excess fat weight on our frame and we only drop 30 pounds of it. Well, you're going to re you're going to regain, you're going to be at a 98% of regain there. Because if we think of this hungry fat mass, like a tumor, it's not, but if we think of it like that, and we only drop half of it, it's analogous to shaving the top off of a weed and leaving the root and it will come back. And so a large reason why we experience the yo-yo phenomenon is because we don't get the body truly where it needs to be. We choose to drop some amount of ambiguous weight where we think we'll look and feel good enough, which I would say is the biggest reason for weight loss failure. We leave the root in there and then, oh my gosh, it's comes back before we know it with a flower on top next time. So one thing that's really important is if you are helping someone or you are dropping weight, you need to get the body back to its sweet spot. Mm -hmm. So you're no longer fighting against this thing that just wants to grow. So I was helping my client the other week, um, realizing, you know, that he really needed to collapse the full 60 pounds. He was eight pounds away. And he was like, I just no matter what I'm doing everything precisely. I'm not dropping this weight. And and he kept saying, I'm not dropping this weight. I'm, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And so I asked him if he could visualize that, that target, like what it looked like, what it felt like with all of his senses, could he imagine? And he couldn't picture it. And not only could he not picture it in a positive way, but he had a negative connotation associated with that. Well, that's like training an athlete, you know, and maybe an Olympic level downhill skier and they picture themselves crashing every time they, (laughs) they do it in their mind. But instead we see these athletes up at the top with music, getting them into peak state, visualizing, moving their body as if they did that run perfectly. And that's what we've got to do is we've got to be able to see it and feel it and believe it with our whole heart and our whole mind, or it's not going to happen. And we worked on that and his work to be done was not even to focus on his nutrition, but to visualize and imagine and put some positive connotation on that. And that week, that next week he came in and he had dropped six pounds and and was ready to hit.
0: Yeah, It's so funny. I'm actually, you know, self-analyzing as we, as we go through this. Cause I keep telling my, I'm I'm high forties and I'm, I'm okay with this four pack that dissolves into nothing. And I'm like, (laughs) am am I saying that? Because I just don't want to give up the pizza and and some of the things (laughs) that I really want. So, you know, but, but I want to talk about that. And if you wouldn't mind is, you know, obviously I think some people, when they hear us talk or, or people talk about things like this, they, they go to the extremes, right? So it's, it's either you can't do any of this and you have to do all of this. And it's such a far gap between where people are at. I'd love for you to talk about your stance and how you work with people regarding cheat meals and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of aspect. Do you have anything? Are you like, no way for a period of time, and then we can reintroduce or, you know, anything that you could, you can suggest there or talk about.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't like to use the word cheat because then that makes us be, feel like full of shame and guilt. We're like, I cheat. I mean, cheated is not really a good word to use.
0: <laughs> True. So
1: I, I say there's no cheats. Yeah. And I say that because you choose, no one's telling you, you can't eat that or you can't eat that. This is totally your choice. And us, we're guiding you in the direction you want to go. And so we're going to guide you in that and be like, these are the foods you want. These are the foods that aren't getting you where you want. But if you choose one day or whatever, multiple days to eat that food, then then that's okay. You're just not eating within your lifestyle. And you can do that once in a while. Um, But I wouldn't save like a Sunday to, to do that, like do it on a whim. If you're out with your kids and they're having ice cream and you, for some reason, really, really want it, you think it's going to elevate that experience, then you freaking eat the ice cream, but then you move on and you don't feel guilty about it. You didn't cheat. You don't feel shameful. You just had a, a fricking scoop of ice cream yeah. and you're moving on back into the lifestyle that gets you the body and the mind and the wellness that you really want and you deserve to have. So I know that might be boring. No, it's, no, it's perfect because <laughs>
0: I, I think also what you're saying, but you didn't say is that the, the agonizing and the mental anguish that you put yourself under for thinking about it and not doing it and, or doing it and then not letting it go is mm-hmm. probably worse than the actual meal that you just had in front of you.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and, you know, planning to just, I don't know, pu- push yourself totally off and then all the work and the stress that bot- thought the body goes through when you do have big cheat days and yeah, then to get yeah. back on track. I mean, it's just a lot of
0: effort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one other thing, and then I want to dive into your book. Um, you know, I've heard this and it could be a, a very simple yes or no. I I've heard that there, you know, obviously our bodies have a set point weight. Um, <laughs> and, Somebody had told me, a pretty prominent guy that when you're dieting once you get to a certain weight, whatever that weight is that you're looking for, that it your chances of staying at that weight, if you can stay there for I want to say it was about a five to eight day period within two pounds of that weight. and that means in the morning at night no matter what you eat it's it's within around two points if eat, or two two pounds that if you stay there for a period of time and you can do that, that your body can reset to that lower or whatever that set point is.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before the, the, and you said about five, three to five days.
0: I want five to say days. it was five to, I think it was five to seven, somewhere in that range. Oh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I don't know about that. I just know from our experience that if we can, and when we get the body into its sweet spot where it's not struggling against this, this body fat percentage, that's above our zone for our unique frame, our unique amount of muscle. And once we can maintain that for a few months, I find the same thing happens right. sweet. and the body is much more likely to support ourselves in maintaining that. Yeah. But that being said, understanding this is an addiction recovery process, that relapse do ha- yeah. relapses do happen. Yeah, yeah. They don't happen for everyone, but for some people they do. And there is no shame in that. Mm-hmm. There is no guilt whatsoever in that. It's just a part of the process for some people. And that just means there need, there needs to be more practice.
0: Would you say also that it's it's a bit easier? Once you get to a point, it's easier to get back to the point. Versus it ever is. getting there. So, yeah. you know, having that mentally in your mind, yeah. I think could be, and, and you know what? Now that it comes back to me, I think it was closer to 21 days, to be honest with you, somewhere in yeah. that factor, not that, that, that short makes period sense of time. Yep. Yeah. Got it. All right. Well, this has been fantastic and, and some amazing nuggets out there for everybody that's listening. Would you mind? I, I know that I believe you have a, a free ebook or is it not free? Yeah. Um, it Would is. you mind talking about that? And, and, you know, we'll have the links in the, in the show notes where you can go right to it. Um, But would you mind explaining a little bit more about that and what they can expect?
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, You can download it on the website for free right now. And it's called The Ultimate Weight Loss Secrets. And I just talk a bit about the visceral fat and how it impacts the body. And then I offer some simple lifestyle strategies from nutrition, behavior, addiction recovery perspectives. To really, I just wanted to be able to provide people with support and understand and help them understand that it's really not their fault. We've had so much shame and guilt associated with our weight when we we really shouldn't, um, but we can overcome it if we want to. So I hope that the book offers some motivation and inspiration and. Is not overwhelming, just with you know some some small steps that people can take to move themselves in the direction they want to go.
0: That's fantastic. Well, you know I can't thank you enough. Any Anything else that maybe you want to you know give advice well, on? I love or kind that. Of
1: I, I think we covered a lot. Yeah, I, we did. I think it's great.
0: Perfect. And I, I honestly, I think I would love to do another episode where we we dive into maybe a handful or more of research some that is good some that is not and kind of taking you through that i think it'd be fun and we could kind of look at that and find some hot topics so uh dr ashley i can't thank you